Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stone. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube. It's Mock Draft Monday, Sam. Mm-hmm. You ready to go? Yes. It's Early. Full Monday. off season. Official, official, official. First full week of the off season. Our favorite time of the year. The real season. We're uh, we're working our way slowly to 9 a.m. We're not there yet. Yeah. But we're heading that way. We have a hard out. We have a meeting. Right. We got this meeting coming up. So we're going to, you know, we'll be at 9 a.m. Maybe next week. Maybe nope. we also might uh, be live. Yeah, because we're going to potentially pre-record next Live week. to tape yeah. Sunday night because mm-hmm. it's Combine week. So next week will be 9 a.m. We won't be there, but presumably. So, uh, yeah, PFF NFL podcast. We're going five days a week. I thought we had a good, fun week last week. We had Renner and uh, Trevor fill in for us on Thursday with a great show. Mm-hmm. Talking about Renner's most recent mock draft. And Friday, great interview or discussion with Rick Spielman. I'm not saying it was a great interview. Still got some some work to do on my uh, interview skills over here. We're all growing. We're all looking to get better. But we yeah. had a fun discussion with Rick Spielman. Rick's out there trying to get better at the whole TV thing, you know, CBS. Yeah. You and I are trying to get better at being interviewers and, and journalism, yeah. you know, despite actually me having a degree in that. We're all trying to get better. Yeah. That's what we're doing here. Trying to lead him. Trying uh-huh. to lead him down the right path. But anyway, I, I mean, I came into the Rick Spielman interview genuinely, you know, inquisitive about their process, right? Draft process, free agent process if any deals were made at Prime 47 in the wee hours of the morning mm. in Indianapolis. And we got a different answer Yeah, where more, the deals are made. More of a uh, steak and shake guy. Steak and shake or the Hertz rental. The Hertz rental. The Hertz rental bus or whatever on the way to the Hertz rental car. So anyway, go check out that interview from Friday. Today, though, we're starting Mock Draft Monday, which means every Monday you tune in, we'll either have our own mm-hmm. original Mock Draft or we'll do one live. Or we'll, we'll uh, review someone else's. But yeah. I think the key here is you get to hear us discuss the first round over and over and over again because that's the fun part is discussing process. Who doesn't want that? Um, I, we, we started with the godfather, uh, Mel Kuyper, the do. Um, I guess if there's anybody that rivals him, it's got to be Todd McShay, right? So that's who we're going to do today. Yeah, we're going to go to Todd McShay and uh, break down his most recent mock draft. It's over at ESPN.com. It is part of... 
your ESPN Plus package. But uh, we'll go pick by pick. And I'm glad that he did start with a trade. Because it makes it at least a little bit more realistic at the top of the Well, it's always the thing that I want to hear from every mock draft at this point is, okay, tell me your starting assumption with the number one pick. Is Chicago staying there? Are they trading out? Are they probably trading out, but you're just not doing trades in this draft? Like, tell me what your process is to get to to this stage. I think the McShays and Kuypers of the world usually try to avoid trades. Yeah. But this year, because the Bears are sitting there at one, nobody wants to screw up their entire mock and just say, give them Jalen Carter, give them Will Anderson, even though we know it's not going to happen. So, you ready to get into the whole thing? Yes. All right. Todd does go with a trade at the top. It's the Indianapolis Colts trading up with the Chicago Bears to number one to take Alabama QB, Bryce Young. (laughs) So what's fun is McShay was also on TV last week saying that the Bears should trade Justin Fields, not trade the number one pick. Um, This is way more common of a take than I thought. People assumed it was the nerds. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to steal your point. See, I'm getting better at this. That's exactly what it was. Like, I'm... I'm surprised how many people currently have that take. Todd McShay was on TV with it. Mike Tannenbaum, your your buddy, has been making that point basically all the way along. That is starting to become really quite a common take, which I did not expect amongst the quote-unquote football people. It's making me rethink things. If it's I, don't, the right I mean, it's not I – don't, <laughs> I don't think it's changing my opinion one way or the other, but I am surprised – how many people appear to have it right now. Yeah, I think the assumption was that it was just going to be the analytics nerds that were pushing that. pushing this thing, yeah. right? Get to the next quarterback, get to the next quarterback. The other point was, and when I, you know, I was on the Dan Patrick show last week and wow. Dan, what a name drop. I was just uh, just on the Dan Patrick show last week. I'm just I'm just spitting facts here. Mm-hmm. But Dan, if you want to learn some interviewing skills, Dan did a good it's job. A man that's been doing it for a while. Because he's, you know, he's asking, you know, what would you do at the top? And I was like, you know, if you're the Bears and you're, you know, you have to consider these. He goes, no, no, no. What right. would you do? He, asked he said, you a what question. would you do? You, like you, tried yeah. to sit on the fence and not give him an answer. And he wasn't taking it. If you're it. the Bears, you got to consider both sides. He goes, no, 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 Steve. Mm-hmm. What would you do? So now I have to declare yep. I would. On the Dan Patrick show. On the Dan Patrick right show. What did you so say? that they could tweet it out. Right. And then I have. Bears fans telling me how, how stupid I am. So you said trade fields. I said trade fields. You said trade fields. Yeah. Now, one of the other points that was brought up, um, this is where the analytics people might have a slightly different take. It's actually don't trade fields. It's actually just bring them both in the building because they don't oh, care about human that's, nature. That's right? what your take that's, should be. That's not my – no. I no, mean, but it's what it should be. That If you're being consistent, that is the most Steve take out there is get them both. Get both quarterbacks. Who cares about feelings? Like Troy Aikman, Steve Just Walsh. shove them together and figure out who's going to succeed. That should be the Steve take. The only thing that would make me not want to <laughs> trade fields is as, as crazy as fun crazy. Dan Orlovsky is sometimes with his takes. Mm-hmm. When he said, Justin Fields is the MVP of the last of the season or something like that. He said something like that midseason after like two games. There, There's parts of Fields' play that – looks like it could be MVP caliber. And I know this is a big if, like if he gets better as a passer. But we, we've seen him throw the ball extremely well at a point in his career. It happened in Ohio State, but we've seen Justin Fields. He's got all the skills as a passer. He just hasn't really translated it to the NFL, but he hasn't had the opportunity either. Hasn't had the offensive line, hasn't had the playmakers, and he's a dynamic runner. That's the only thing that would make me say, maybe I should stick with Fields and build around him 
trade the number one pick, get all it, so it's Fields plus all of those picks. That's the one thing that makes me say, okay, even with only two years left on the rookie contract or three years left, man, we could do something here with Fields if we if he develops. When I saw the um, the McShay take that they should trade Fields, I tweeted out that like I was surprised how many people have this take, and I made a point of saying. I am not commenting on the take either way in this tweet, simply surprised at how many people have it. The number of people that were replying like, well, what's your take? You know? I would like to make know, a have declaration. You, have you gone on record yet? Yeah. I, is that a Salt Lake Bees jersey? No. By the way? No, it's very much not. This oh. is a Wasps rugby jersey. The Wasps? Yeah. London Wasps, who then moved to Coventry and then then died financially. Interesting. So it's a little uh, tribute to the Wasps. Looks like the Salt Lake Bees. Pacific yeah, Coast it's League. not. <clears throat> um, the yeah, so I did. I declared. I've already said it. I think a couple of times, but I declared officially in the tweet under that tweet and said my take is I, that they should keep Fields. Like I don't think Bryce Young is obviously that much better a prospect. I think his tape is better than college Justin Fields. On the other hand, he's like five ten, one seventy five. So that scares me. I don't know how much it scares me, but it scares me enough that I'm not like Kyla Murray, Josh Rosening this thing. I'm not like he's so much better than Fields. It's a no-brainer. He he isn't. Like he might be better, and I think his tape is better. It's like Rick Spielman said. If he was 6'2, 220, we it wouldn't be it would be a, I think I would move. But he isn't. He's 5'10, maybe 180. And that it's just enough that I'm scared enough by it that I'm I'm gonna lean with Fields and say, all right, he did enough last year that I want to see what he can do with everything put around him. Uh, there were statements like that made about Russell Wilson when he came out back in 2012. If he's 6'2 instead of 5'10, yeah. he's the number one overall. And there. by the way, Russell Wilson is probably going to outweigh Bryce Young by 30-plus pounds. Oh, yeah, he's got a right. thick. That's the thing. It's thick. It's, it's, ha- it's the composite of short and tiny, which shouldn't make a difference, but it, just because it's unprecedented, it, it should. Like, it's like Devontae Smith, right? We know that being a small wide receiver doesn't really matter in the greater scheme of things. But if you're going to show up with a number like 166, like, it's so extreme that you have to at least think, I mean, does that make a little bit of a difference? Because, I mean, even just on the same team, right? The difference between Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, like that 50 pounds or whatever the hell that is, it does make a difference. The question is how much. All right, so let's get into this from a Colts perspective. So the, the Bears have traded out, which and they've traded back to number four. I don't know if he – did he even detail the actual trade? No. I don't think he got into the uh, Jimmy Johnson chart and, right. and let you know. But we'll assume the Bears get a pretty good haul here, uh, including the number four overall pick. So the Colts are the team to move up to number one. Mm-hmm. Are they the most likely team to come to number one? The other candidates are the Texans at two – Maybe the Panthers at nine, the Raiders at seven. Actually, he did ballpark the trade. He did ballpark. Number okay. four, a second rounder, a fifth rounder, and maybe an additional first next year. Oh, wow. That's, that's a quite lot. a big maybe. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it feels like it's quite a large like part a of that. Um, so are the Colts the most likely team? Yes. I agree. I think they are the most likely team to move up to number one. And is Bryce Young the guy that, uh, let's be serious here, is this, is this Chris Ballard's pick? Or is this Jim Ursay's pick? Who's the guy most likely to uh, tickle Jim Ursay's fancy? It, it's funny because the concern that you have, or that I have, Bryce Young's size, 
it's kind of like the it's like the Mac Jones thing when the 49ers are trading up, right? If you're going to trade up, the extra capital that you're giving up, the sort of the downside, I think scares you more. So I could I could see Mac at the time I could see Mac Jones being plugged into that 49ers offense and doing an amazing job. But it's like, but is it worth three first round picks? No, not really. So now you're like, all right, I think Bryce Young is the best quarterback in this draft. I think he has clearly the best tape of any of these quarterbacks. So therefore you just he's the best quarterback. But I'm I'm pretty comfortable making that declaration just at number one overall. Period, the end, move on. But now you say, okay, but what if it costs you an, an extra second rounder, a first rounder next year, and a fifth round pick this year? Are you still that confident? Well, now I'm like, ah, but he is really small. You know what I mean? It just scares me even more the more you sort of roll into the deal and have to gamble on it. Why should we be concerned about height, right? Because even, um, even Rick mentioned durability. I think there's, even though we've poo-pooed the durability thing before, mm-hmm. right, that it's not just about 6'5", 230 equals durable, there is something to it, right? Well, so is it, is, or is it just the fact that we haven't it, seen yeah. it? That the biggest, the biggest fear is it's unprecedented. Now, where I think Young is different is so number one, we've talked before about size is not necessarily a durability thing; it's a play style thing, right? Like if yeah. he protects himself, it doesn't really matter that he's small. He does protect himself. So I think he's better at avoiding hits than a lot of quarterbacks. Therefore, I'm not massively concerned by that. Now, Tua this year showed the potential flip side of that, which is, all right, even if he protects himself, at some point a guy that weighs 330 pounds is going to get their hands on him and simply throw him to the ground like a sack of potatoes. And when that happens, when you're outweighed by that much, you simply are no longer in control over what happens to your body once it flies into the turf you know what I mean and Tua probably outweighs Bryce Young by 20 pounds you know and we talked to him a lot first two years how small Tua felt right so again we're talking like just unprecedented size problems um the second issue is the height thing which is look quarterbacks that are that short have restrictions that taller taller quarterbacks simply don't have now it's not as simple as you can't see it through the pocket when you're that size because nobody can see through the pocket, right? Even six foot five quarterbacks are standing behind guys that are generally six foot five, in addition to defensive linemen that are six foot five. Like there's not, you know, it's not a simple line of sight that because you're six five you can see over everything because the guys in front of you are the same size. So everybody's working through lanes of vision. But it does mean that you have a harder time generally seeing the middle of the field. 15 yards beyond the line of scrimmage, which is where a lot of the NFL passes and pass concepts target. So generally speaking, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, these guys do not work the middle of the field as efficiently as other quarterbacks do. So they have to offset that with other things. And Russell Wilson has had his own unique way of doing that. Kyler Murray has had his own unique way of doing that. Now, the problem is that in recent seasons, that has been less effective than it used to be. So again, now you're saying, okay, and now you're saying, well, you get this guy that's unprecedented small, maybe he gets banged up more because of it and is as short as any quarterback that's come into the league in years. Can he work the middle of the field as well? And can he stay durable? Now, Bryce Young has worked the middle of the field very well at Alabama, 
But as we know, Alabama's offense is basically not a real thing. It's like it's fake. It's, it's like a Madden offense. It's not like for like. So again, it's Less just so like, this year, though. Yeah, it's been a wor- it's been the worst version of this Alabama offense for quite a number of years. It's still absurd. Like they still run concepts that don't exist in the NFL because they can. So it's just it's just the unknown. We've never seen this work before. Doesn't mean it can't, but it just because that unknown thing has to scare you the more you commit to it. I liked everything about <clears throat> I mean, we could do a show where we rank the quarterbacks and get into their skill sets and all that stuff. But I loved how Bryce Young was competitive, led comebacks in close games, um, most more more so in his Heisman season. The Tennessee game this year where their defense was terrible, he kept coming back against Tennessee. was just He took hits, right? We talk about the hits, and he was tough, though. Like He stands in there. He moves the pocket with a purpose. One thing that's going to drive me nuts during draft season here is when, and I say people loosely, it might be just be people in my mentions who don't know. It might be analysts. I the people who say Bryce Young doesn't have a good arm because he's small. This happened with Baker Mayfield, right? There were actual analysts who said Baker Mayfield didn't have a good arm. He does. Bryce Young has a good arm. I described him. He's got that Mariota-type release, I think. You know, very quick and efficient, but with a better arm. I don't think Mariota, who did go number two overall, I never thought Mariota had a very good arm, like straight-up velocity. But he's got. But he had an incredible release to offset that. I love Bryce Young's release and think he has very good uh, velocity, accuracy, the whole thing. So I think his arm's fine. Yeah. Arm talent off off, arm's good. off platform and all that stuff. Very good arm. So that's not the issue with the height. It's not a tools thing. It really is the um, just the outlier aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So the Colts are going Bryce Young at number one. Is that the way Ursay's going to go here? Do you, I don't know. Because we've joked that, yeah, that they're, they're the team that's going to of all the people that would look at Will Levis and say you at least look like Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning, yes, you're the same. You're the same size, mm-hmm. right? And that's a little bit of human nature. And by which the way, is like I've had two franchise quarterbacks here right. in the last twenty years, and you look like the two that I've had: and height, he, stature, arm, and the whole thing. Even if Bryce Young's a better prospect, and if you look at the way that Chris Ballard has sort of built that team generally. They've gone for athletes, you know, like the the linebackers they they take have always been these super freak speed. I just don't know. If quarter, like, do you treat quarterback the same? But also way? quarterback. Look at the quarterbacks they brought in, right? It's like prototypical pocket passer Matt Ryan, prototypical pocket passer um, Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz. Like he's gone for give me a six foot four, two hundred and thirty pound quarterback that can stand tall in the pocket, and you know what I mean? Like those are the guys. He's but been, because those haven't worked, I don't know if they're an opposite line. But I don't, right yeah, now. but I don't think you go, all right, that didn't work. Who's a five foot ten, 170 pound dude who can run around? Like I, I don't know. I it just if you if if you were sort of looking at the players they brought in and said, does he have a type? You would say yes, and that type looks a lot like Will Levis. The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Um, I've been playing around recently with uh, ChatGPT, the AI chat, you know, the thing that uh, generates responses and, and anything you want it to, basically. Would you like to know ChatGPT's take on Bryce Young? 
whether he's too small or not. I, I would. This is. So I asked. Is this going to be an entire segment for us? We could do a whole show. We could absolutely we'll write that down. We should do write that. a PFF NFL podcast show for us. How we'll big a concern? It. I asked it. How big a concern should Bryce Young's size be? Uh, now, one thing I have discovered about ChatGPT is it does tend to waffle quite a bit. It's sort of it's on the Ben Stockwell end of the scale in terms of just unnecessary volume of text for a simple question. Ben catching strays. So. Bryce Young is a quarterback for the University of Alabama. And at six foot tall, around 190 pounds, he's considered undersized for his position by NFL standards. However, there have been many successful NFL quarterbacks who are also considered undersized, such as Russell Wilson and Drew Brees. While size is certainly a factor in football, it's not the only factor that determines a player's success. Bryce Young has shown impressive skills and abilities on the field, including accuracy, mobility, and decision-making. In his first season as Alabama's starting quarterback, he led the team to the national championship game and was named the MVP of the SEC championship game. Just means more. It is worth noting that football is a physically demanding sport. It is. And smaller players may be at higher risk for injury. However, with proper training and coaching, players can learn techniques to avoid and minimize injuries. Additionally, football is becoming more and more focused on speed and agility, which may give smaller players like Bryce Young an advantage. Overall, while Bryce Young's size may be a consideration for some NFL teams, it should not be the sole determining factor in his future success. His talent, work ethic, and football IQ are likely to be more important factors in his ability to excel at the next level. Wow. I'll just say, I know you said don't pick on Renner, but if if Renner... (laughs) starts uh, getting a little bit long-winded with his draft guide uh-huh. write-ups. Like, there's a chance he might just go full jet to chat GPT here. It would be worth monitoring his yeah. his blurbs to see if they, this is like they when, start uh, to look like that. Yeah, like right. when uh, English teachers were monitoring monitoring uh, Cliff's, Cliff's notes. Right. The English teachers are really good at identifying when or, you, you know, summarized Cliff notes. Or just deal. Google. Like... Now it's, now it's Google. Right in the first couple of sentences Sorry. and just check that they're not sitting there online somewhere already. Well, while other players have overcome their height. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. So good answer. Uh, chat, uh, chat GPT also came up with a very good, I, mean, I was struggling to write a bio for myself mm. for Sloan. Because yeah. we're going to be on the Sloan panel in a couple of weeks. Be sure to go check that out, either online or you buy tickets. It's uh, myself, Thomas Dimitrov, Kevin Demoff of the Rams, Jackie Davidson of the Bucks. So we're all going to be on the football panel, and I needed a 300-word bio. And you typed in... You know, what do you know about Steve Palazzolo? And the bio was way better yeah. than what I came up with, other than one little minor. I was going to say, it was way better because it was lies. It started Made talking sound good. extensively about your previous football career. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, look, you know, there's a little bug in the system. It's like, I know he had a career. I know he does football right now. It must have been a football if, career. If, I mean, you wouldn't know it from the, the thing I just read out, but if you're thinking, you know, could I, could I use ChatGPT for all my football, you know, writing needs? It does seem to get quite a lot of things very wrong. Yeah. Like I asked it about a Super Bowl. First of all, it didn't. It wasn't aware that a Super Bowl had just been played, so I had to go back a year. And then it was very wrong <coughs> about the details of that Super Bowl, including the score. Yeah, get the score wrong. Right. Could um, be embarrassing if you just use. Yeah. That so there appears to be quite a lot of detail issues with ChatGPT. Like, for example, it thought Steve had a fairly extensive previous football career before coming to pff it may have been referencing the umass lowell flag football championships that we won yeah you think that's the problem it it could have been 
it was a football career. Didn't it also assign you some sort of scouting position somewhere or a coaching role, something like that? Yeah, maybe at PFF. No. Maybe I was the regional scout at PFF that doesn't exist. It may be, yeah. Anyway, I'm just saying I wouldn't rush to replacing your entire workforce with ChatGPT. Good. We're one pick in here, but it's the, it's the big one, right? It's the, yes. It's the big one. It gets quicker from here on in. So at pick number two, the Houston Texans are going with C.J. Stroud. Hmm. Is that the right move here for the Houston Texans? I mean, now that we have a rooting interest in the Houston Texans with former with PFF Bobby as the offensive coordinator. Let's text Bobby. Let's do another segment, live text I, to Bobby. Who I, no, is no. your favorite? I'm are, just saying. Are we out on him for a little bit? Yeah. We, we've, we, we're shunning Bobby the way he shunned us. Well, I'll pull him aside. We'll try to get some, yes, some info on his combine. favorite quarterback. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to give him C.J. Stroud. I don't look. I, I don't. You like, don't think Bobby can make C.J. Stroud good? Oh, well, he might be able to. I just again, we're we're playing percentages here. I wouldn't. My money wouldn't be on C.J. Stroud as the next quarterback if I had to choose one. Um, my question here. What is my question here? Hmm. At number two, with the Texans. Yeah. Forget what I was going to say. Oh no! Great. The thing you're going to hear over and over again. I'm, this might not be my best show. <laughs> The thing you're going to hear over and over about Stroud is how to separate his incredible game against Georgia mm-hmm. versus the rest of his season. Yeah. Not that the rest of his season wasn't good, but the rest of his season was like, I think the perception among scouts, not against, college football fans were like, CJ Stroud's awesome, Heisman right. candidate. But among scouts, it was like, this guy's a prospect in between Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields. That's even knowing that Fields dropped from that offense right from that off from that ohio state offense knowing that fields dropped but like people liked fields more than haskins Mm -hmm. haskins felt like a little bit more of a product of the system cj stroud's probably a more accurate version of haskins more mobility and and so he was a higher version of haskins but lesser version of fields until the georgia game yeah where it's like it was it was almost like if you said every question mark i have about stroud yeah Go answer them. And he did in the biggest game where they were a field goal away from going to the college football playoff. Yeah, it's, it's strange because it, Title it, game. it um, you can look at it two ways. It's like <clears throat> every concern we had about him, so play under pressure generally in his college career has not been good. He was great under pressure against Georgia. So every sort of issue we have with his game, he fixed it or he showed really well against, in that area in the hardest competition at the on the biggest stage so you can look at that and say well that means obviously he's going to be great at the next level because the stage is bigger and the games are more important and the opposition is better across the board and if he can do that against georgia he can do it in the nfl or you can look at it and say it's one game and even though it came against the best opposition sometimes that's just the way it goes you know like i remember years ago talking to an NFL scout who said, well, I start off and I look at how a guy did against the best opposition. You know, we, this is when we were sort of saying one of the important parts about PFF is we do every game, right? So we're not just looking at how the guy did against the four best people he played that year because sometimes you're going to do unusually well against the best guys you faced. And it doesn't mean you're a superstar. It just means you randomly had a great game against like Nick Bosa. You know what I mean? Um, and that was exactly it. He went through and he looked at how this guy played to get a handle on how good he was against the best four opponents he faced that year. And he just so happened that his best four games were against the best four people he played. 
but the really crappy games came against like marginal NFL players. And like, well, those are important as well. They matter too, yeah. Because if he goes and shits the bed against a terrible opponent, that guy's going to wreck shop as well, and he's still no good. So I, I tend to think that it's an intriguing data point, what he did against Georgia. I don't think it invalidates or eradicates multiple years of not being great in those areas, though. And I'm more concerned by those than I am encouraged by the one random game against Georgia. But a big part of that with quarterback, and I'm less likely to have strong takes on quarterbacks given what we've seen the last couple of years, a big part of it is showing the can-do, right? Showing yeah. that you can do these things in the Georgia game. So then people also point to the Northwestern game where the stat line says 10 for 26 for 76 yards, mm. which you know came in a rainstorm and it was windy and all that stuff. But both of those things happened in the same season. Um, I also do like to point out, I know it was a completely different era, but there was a game where Peyton Manning, I think it was his senior year too, against South Carolina, like at some random game, had a similar stat line. I got to look it up, but it was something like 11 for 25 for 80 yards, something ridiculous. That was Peyton Manning, who's still the best prospect and ended up becoming, you know, top three quarterback of all time. So take it all with a grain of salt, however you want. I just feel like here's what, here's my take on CJ Stroud. I'm fine taking him. I think he's, do you think he's better than Kenny Pickett? Hmm. Uh, I think he's better than Kenny Pickett. I don't know. I think he's kind of in that area, to be honest, for me. I don't okay. love what he does. I don't think he's physically, dramatically better than Kenny Pickett. I would put him somewhere in that bucket. We were hating Kenny Pickett at six. Yeah. We were hating him in the top ten right. last year. I wouldn't take – I don't think I would take C.J. Stroud in the top ten. Okay. I feel like Stroud's the type of quarterback I'd be fine with as we talk about the first contract quarterbacks. I think he'd be, I think he's the type of guy that could run an offense, be good, build the team around him, and you could you could do some damage, right, with him as a first contract quarterback. I also think CJ Stroud's the guy a year from now, if the Texans are picking in the top five, or if they're picking at one, they're like, Man, I'm taking I want Caleb Williams or Drake May. I want that there are shinier objects out there over Stroud so that if use, they have the opportunity you want to use Stroud as a vehicle to get to a real quarterback next year I'm not saying as a vehicle I'm saying if I had to build around Stroud for the next four years I think you could build a good enough team I also said if you are positioned in the top 10 next year and you just drafted CJ Stroud you're going to say man he would not go top 10 this year like last year maybe he would weak quarterback class this year questionable quarterback class Hate to always point to, hey, next year, but we're looking at Drake May, redshirt sophomore, Caleb Williams, both look like potential top eight type of quarterbacks. Maybe another one emerges, but those two guys in particular are going to dwarf Stroud and maybe even Bryce Young from a prospect. But that lets you potentially go Rosen-Murray on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you're, I mean, And you're saying, look, if you draft Stroud, he's not great. I already don't have a great infrastructure in right. Houston. It's going to take more than one year. Maybe he is a guy that can help get me there. Yeah. But it also proposes the question, this is why I brought up with the Texans. Do you have this multi-year view? And you, I think you were trying to get at this a little bit when you talked to Rick. How much are you looking to the future? If you're the Texans, would you actually bring in a Jimmy Garoppolo as your bridge for now? Maybe draft another player, get another person in the building, not draft a quarterback and say, yeah, we are going to look until next year. Or maybe you trade uh, out to. I would draft a quarterback. I just wouldn't, it wouldn't be C.J. Stroud for me so you're going will levis yes. or anthony richardson levis so you'd go levis here at two yep 
So there you go. Trying to hit a home run. That's what you're trying to do. I, I don't even think – I think his floor is higher. You think Will Levis I think he's is just better, period. You think Will Levis is just purely better than C.J. Stroud? Yes. His process, I think, is superior. His tools are better. I think his ceiling is better. I, everything about him is better. I don't, I don't think that – I don't see the area where Stroud is superior. Accuracy, maybe, but, like, that's about it. Stroud reminds me of Trubisky. Whenever, like, I wanted to write him off a few times, and then he sucked me back in. How'd that work out? Completely sucked in yeah. by the end. By the end. I didn't know what I was doing at that time. <laughs> I'm better now. All right, let's go to number three overall here. Really Remember, reviewing, draft. reviewing Todd McShay's mock draft here. These are not our picks, but uh, Sam's given his pick hmm. at number two. You've steadfastly remained on the fence. On what? Everything. Except when Dan Patrick held your feet to the fire and said, make a, make a call. I did what I, I, I said the Colts. They, that was the right move by the Colts. Trade Bryce up Young. and get Bryce Young. Who would I would you do pick that. Too? I think I'd go Stroud right now. I got more work to do on the quarterbacks. Okay. That's what I say all the way up till draft night. Got mm -hmm. more work to do. Got a thing. Let, let you know in September. Look back at the tape. Let you know after the preseason. Arizona Cardinals at three. They're going Will Anderson. Edge rusher. Alabama. Sure. Who ESPN still calls an outside linebacker. They still do the old school outside linebackers. Yeah. We're, we're not for changing at ESPN. No. Outside linebacker, defensive tackle. So, Will Anderson. And then number four is the Bears going Jalen Carter at defensive tackle. I think the, the consensus is those are the top two non-quarterbacks, mm -hmm. both on the defensive line. I think these are expected picks here. Yeah. And for the Bears, jackpot. Like, yep. that's the exact dream scenario for them. They trade down to four. They pick up a first-rounder next year. I'm going to say that maybe is a yes. So they pick up the first-round pick next year, which is a hedge against Justin Fields not being good this year. If, they, if he isn't, A, their pick is going to be pretty high. B, they have a second first-round pick just to make sure that they can jump to wherever they need to jump to to get one of those quarterbacks next year. And in Jalen Carter in particular, I think they pick up probably the best defensive player in the draft and the player best suited for their team. I think this is literally the best possible scenario for Chicago. Not to jump ahead of Arizona entirely, but that's like of those two picks, that's the thing that jumps out. Yeah, so this is, I think it's a good spot. Remember, so <clears throat> I think both, here's a strong take, both Will Anderson or Jalen Carter, if they were in last year's draft, both of either one of them goes number one. Mm -hmm. over Trayvon Walker, over Aiden Hutchinson. We thought Aiden Hutchinson was the slam dunk number one. Yeah. If Hutch was in this draft, he's the third non-quarterback off the board. I think that's probably true. It's not that strong. I think a lot of people might agree yeah. with that. But it just kind of showed where I think last year's draft was. Certainly Carter. And when you consider that Anderson has long been seen as the best edge rusher in the nation, that makes sense as well. So, yeah. I, yeah, I, people were debating the college exploits of Will Anderson and Aiden Hutchinson. I think Aiden Hutchinson won – um, awards over Will Anderson. Bama fans were upset because hmm. he had more sacks. So I think that makes sense. Arizona needs help on the defensive line. The Bears need help on the defensive line. We always talk positional value and is the interior of the D-line a good enough position? I do think where I, I, th I think where I agree with some NFL people is the blue chip concept. If you do have a blue chipper at pretty much any position besides running back, you'll have – they'll have enough of an, of an impact that 
it doesn't matter. You're uh, you, Mister Touchy Feely. Doesn't matter, man. Would you, if you're the Cardinals, would you draft a quarterback? And if not, why not? I think you're just tied. I think you're tied to Kyler Murray. Yeah, but he's not playing until like November at the earliest. So at the very minimum, you need one now. What's the downside in taking a quarterback, having him play his rookie season? Maybe Kyler Murray comes back 100% healthy in November or December, and then you put him on the bench and he can learn a little bit, Steve Young style from, from, from behind, and push Kyler Murray, you know? Hey, your job's not secure. You can let me show you something. Because I, I need I need Kyler Murray to work because he's invested in. Isn't this gonna forty plus? He's gonna work now because there's a guy pushing him for his job. Can't just spend his entire time playing Call of Duty anymore. The Cardinals work better with an elite edge rusher rather than just a backup quarterback. Well, he's say. not a backup for the first three quarters of the season. Yeah, I don't care about this season. Like if I just <laughs> took over, the Cardinals are in full rebuild mode. I don't care about this season. Uh-huh. So I'm not certainly not drafting a quarterback for this season. And I'm not drafting one for the sole purpose of pushing Kyler Murray. If Daniel Jones is my quarterback, I think so. I think the Giants have a different, a different, uh, different consideration here. If the Giants were to sign Daniel Jones to one of those two-year, it's essentially like a two-year deal. We can get out after two years at say thirty million, like a Tannehill-esque esque deal. I think the Giants would do something like that. Because then you have a rookie contract quarterback who could take over in year three. And now, like in hindsight, with the Packers, Jordan Love's about to take over here in year four, is it? Whatever. Jordan Love's about to take over, maybe a year later than he should have, if you were, you know, drawing it out for the Packers. That makes sense to me. I, I, I think you're, you're tied to Kyler Murray for at least a couple of years. You're not trading him or anything. So I wouldn't do it. Hmm. Would you? Hmm. No, but I'm not the guy that says it doesn't matter if you put two quarterbacks in the building that both want the job and both should have the job and therefore create chaos. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Kyler's in that top eight to ten mix, though, right? My my rule is generally if you get in, if you know you've got that top eight to ten quarterback or whatever that cutoff is, then it's like go all out, build around that guy. Arizona's already made that investment in that guy. See Jonathan Gannon? He's going to do the... That's what he did. The hell is that? That's what he did when he met Kyler. Uh-huh. He made noises like they were going to take shots. Pew, pew? Yeah, yeah. That stuff. Uh-huh. That's what they did. Yeah. I'm not going to overreact, though. I'm not gonna, I, we did that with Nick, Nick Sirianni. I'm not going to overreact to first impressions. All right. So, yeah, I would take I, – I like Will Anderson at three and Jalen Carter at four for the Bears. What I don't like is the Seattle Seahawks taking Tyree Wilson at five. I don't know the best way to go here. This is – this is the um, this is the tipping point. Isn't this a very Seattle pick, though? Like, yes. This is. I mean, I don't want to say he's L.J. Collier because that didn't work out, but it, it sort of has feelings of that, you know. Well, no, because L.J. Collier was a guy that people liked as a day two player, potentially maybe round three yeah. that they took in round one. Okay, L.J. and hasn't worked. Round. Yeah, the a lot of, of, of people are going to like Tyree Wilson. Sure, he's got. I'm not one of them, though, so far. I'm not either. But Tyree Wilson has the explosiveness, the length. He's going to have, like, 35-and-a-half-inch arms. He's got that built-in-a-lab type of defensive end body, edge defender body. I don't know. I don't don't think he's going to run the same way uh, Trayvon Walker. I don't think he's going to break the combine like a Trayvon Walker. Well, I can— he might be the closest thing to the look being better than the on-field production— 
in a Trayvon Walker sense. I can see him breaking the combine in the way some people do or some people are said to when they don't sort of look at the – this is what differentiates Trayvon Walker from all these other guys is – you get these guys who go, oh, this guy broke the combine. And it's because he ran a really fast 40 and he had a great vertical and or broad jump. And you're like, wow, those are incredible numbers. Like, yeah, but he didn't think the three cone was terrible or the change of direction stuff wasn't good. Um, the difference with Walker is that his numbers were insane everywhere. Everything was nuts. I can see Tyree being straight line very good. I can also see him struggling at the change of direction stuff a bit more. Relatively. Yeah. He's the first guy, like, um, going back to the draft model. If you want to look at production, and all I have is production numbers right now. These will change once the combine comes in. Will Anderson and Jalen Carter are in that blue chip type of status, right? They make sense. Tyree Wilson's the first one who doesn't. Um, in part, and there might be multiple reasons for that. We might have this, a similar conversation as Trayvon Walker, which is, Texas Tech's not using him as a pure edge all the time. He's playing contain a ton in three-man rushes. Um, for me, it's more there's one year of production there for Tyree Wilson. If you just look at his his one year of production, like you can you can get there. You know, you can get there for kind of saying I I understand. He's the first guy I think where I just I don't want to be I don't want to be the team that takes him. Um, Seattle at five is fascinating because we'll know much more about their intentions after free agency. Presumably, they're going to bring back Geno Smith, either with a franchise tag or some sort of long-term deal. Now, this is where I would say the same thing I said about Daniel Jones. If I give Geno Smith that two-year-ish type of contract or two years plus, but there's an out after year two, I mean, me, I'm drafting a quarterback here. I would draft the next quarterback, have him sit behind Geno Smith. I would hedge my bets and all that fun stuff. Seattle probably won't, so they will probably take the best non-position player Unless somebody's trying, unless the Panthers are trying to jump the Raiders, right? Those are the next two players here. The Raiders are at seven, needing a quarterback, and the Panthers are at nine, needing a quarterback. The Raiders also might have Aaron Rodgers pure, you know, right from the darkness, and they might just be drafting the best player mm. they can at seven. So. I will say, if the draft unfolds like this, I think this is the first pick where Seattle is in kind of a tough spot because this is the tipping point right where, yeah. where it's like you kind of like run out of blue chip non-quarterbacks but we'll also or, see if they want to yeah or the kind of blue chips that may potentially be on the board or positions that either you don't need or aren't you know uh high value positions so when you're talking about drafting uh, number five even if you needed one you're not taking Bijan robinson presumably uh a running back um or you know so there's a couple of offensive tackles people might put into that category you just drafted two offensive tackles right. last season both of whom played pretty well as rookies the cornerbacks probably aren't in that category even if you think you need one of those like I think they're just in a weirdly difficult spot of it probably has to be defensive line you probably just have to pick your favorite and there's a big drop between Will Anderson and anybody else Peter Skaronsky who ends up going at eight to the Atlanta Falcons at tackle because he's got the short arms People could project him to guard. I think he could play guard. That could be an interesting one if Seattle goes that route and say, we have our two tackles and we're going to take Skaronsky, who's a tackle, but make him a guard. Much like Brandon Scherf went five overall to the uh, to Washington a couple years ago as a tackle, converted to guard, become a really good guard. That could be the other move, maybe, for Seattle. But they're going to go Tyree Wilson. I think it's going to be a very common pick here. And either way, they need help 
on the defensive line, right? They need a ton of help on the D-line. They couldn't get after the quarterback efficiently, so I could see that happening. Uh, at six, Detroit Lions go Miles Murphy, another edge defender coming out of Clemson. He's a little bit different player from Tyree Wilson, more of a power player. He's really strong. He's good. And now I'm, I'm starting to see him all over the place. He was a consensus top 10. I'm seeing other people mock draft him in the back end of the first round. I think he's a good player, good prospect. I think I feel better about him middle of the first or later in the first, but this would be Detroit adding to Aiden Hutchinson and James Houston and yeah. really just trying to make this into a position of uh, a ton of strength here for the, for the Lions. Yeah, this is uh, another intriguing pick because I don't, I wouldn't necessarily add to that defensive line, but again, they're in that category of, well, what's the alternative at this point? Um, again, they're not drafting a tackle, probably. They're, a cornerback would be the one, but that's, that's the biggest kind of, is there a corner worth anything like a top 10 pick in this draft? And I think so far the consensus appears to be no. So... Again, Detroit ends up in quite a difficult spot. We'll see the corner run here later. And we talk a lot about the value of corner and all that stuff, but it's all about, it's about scarcity as well. So the Patriots end up becoming the first team to draft a corner. It's not till 14, but then there's three out of four or four out of six. Yeah, three out of four corners go between 14 and 17 overall in this draft. And I think that's where people feel more comfortable drafting the corners here. Because there's not a Sauce Gardner. There's not a Derek Stingley. I know Stingley didn't have the best rookie season, but he, he was that level. of Those guys were that level of corner prospect. Top five type of corner prospects. Like a Jalen Ramsey. Like a Patrick Peterson. We don't really have those guys there. Maybe it puts Detroit in a tough spot. Like you're saying here. I mean, it is also potentially, um, again, if the draft has come this far, number one, I think Detroit would potentially trade out. At this stage, I think that's another option. You've got the Raiders, one pick behind lurking. You've got uh, Carolina, two picks behind lurking. Atlanta, maybe if they're in the quarterback market. Further than that, like there are teams, I think, hovering for these quarterbacks. Maybe Detroit or even Seattle can convince somebody to trade out or can trade up to get their quarterback, and they have a much better life <laughs> by trading back, getting some picks, and still being able to take whoever it is they would have ended up with. Um, alternatively, like Detroit could take a quarterback. I know, you know, Jared Goff has played well for them. It still feels like there has to be a lingering feeling of we can do better than this. Especially with the extra pick, right? That's that's part of the luxury of having they have two first rounders. They could they're they're definitely their second pick is definitely in the mix for where you might get the next corner. Um, so that part makes sense. But yeah, I mean I like Jared Goff. He's fine. He had a good season. That's fine. But uh, the teams that are trying to win Super Bowls were moving on from Jared Goff a couple years ago. You should be looking for that next that next option. The Lions do go corner later on at 18 with Keely Ringo from Georgia, so they end up getting the corner. That part makes sense if you're just playing the board, playing where these positions are probably going to slot. So now you get two very good defensive players. I understand the intrigue there. But certainly the quarterback should not be off the board for the Lions. The other thing is if they, you know, things go south this year and they're, you know, you just get handle it next year, right? If Goff lets you down, you just maybe you just handle it next year. Raiders at seven. This is where the next QB comes off the board. This is Will Levis. Mm -hmm. Again, we'll know more. If Aaron Rodgers, I think he's the favorite 
I think the favorite for landing Aaron Rodgers is the Raiders. That changes everything. If they're picking at seven right. and they get their pick of maybe the top tackle or whatever it might be, that's intriguing with Aaron Rodgers on the roster. Presumably they'll have the seventh pick maybe given up, actually. But Will Levis, is he the guy for Josh McDaniels here? Yeah, assuming they don't have Aaron Rodgers, I think this would be a great outcome for the Raiders. I mean, as I said, I think Levis should be the second quarterback off the board. I think there's a not insignificant chance that he goes number one overall because, to me, he's the obvious uh, antithesis of of Bryce Young if there are teams that are scared of Bryce Young's size. Like, to me, they're going to gravitate – those teams gravitate to Levis more than they would gravitate to C.J. Stroud in my eyes. So, if you're the Colts and Chris Ballard and the type that they've displayed, whatever. Like, if you're not a Bryce Young team or guy – I think Levis is your guy. So I think there's a reasonable chance that he goes number one. If Bryce Young is off the board, I, he would be my second quarterback. So for him to get to fall all the way to seven for the Raiders, I think it's perfect for them. Just like the C.J. Stroud question is going to be like, how much do we weigh the Georgia game with Levis? It's how much do you weigh a disappointing final season with a very good second to last season, mm. right? Um, this and, was- and all the tools, mobility, <coughs> cannon for an arm and all that this was something that you know we didn't have a chance to pick out a little bit more with uh rick spielman but you know he talked a lot about sort of you don't want to make excuses for these guys and you can have a a long list of excuses i think there's quite an important element of you know actually identifying what's real and what isn't in terms of excuses and reasons like there's a difference there right the is this an excuse for why like are we trying to excuse bad play from a player or are we saying Okay, it's important that whilst looking at this bad play, we identify three confounding factors that really played into it, like, you know, bad supporting cast, bad whatever. You know what I mean? I, I think it is quite important to look at this most recent year for Levis and say, like, what was around him? Because it really didn't help. And, and again, I, for the next few years, I'm going to fall back on the recency bias stuff, right? We would push back on Josh Allen, pro Josh Allen arguments, which were like, oh, he's not playing with NFL players at Wyoming. He's not, he doesn't have this or that. And I think those excuses proved correct, where we focused on the fact that he was extremely, well, I don't even know if they were correct. It depends on how you weigh it, right? You Obviously, Josh Allen, no, everybody acknowledges he was inaccurate in college and made poor decisions. But was he partially held back because of a supporting cast? That was one of the excuses made. Or did he just improve at the NFL level? Or is it because all the stuff that we couldn't see, that this guy was going to work harder because he was a good athlete, he was going to be able to get it, improve his footwork, improve his accuracy, and all that stuff, it didn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, also, one difference between the Josh Allen thing and this, whether it's true or not, is Josh Allen's lack of competition is potentially offset by the fact that he was – or his lack of supporting cast, rather, is potentially offset by the fact that his competition was Wyoming level as well. Right. Whereas Kentucky's lack of supporting cast, they're playing in the SEC. So, like, not having players around him is quite important when you're running up against literally the best teams in the nation on a regular basis. Yeah, so those are interesting ones. Um, other pe- people wanted us to bring up Christian Ponder with, um, yeah. with Rick. Hey, Rick, um, what went wrong there? I mean, look, he's he's honest about a lot of that stuff. I mean, we could have I could have talked for five hours. With, yes, with Rick, that's a problem. Honestly, this, this, we could have spent but a lot of time on a lot of things. I'm only bringing up Ponder for a second because 
he was a guy, if people remember back, 2011 draft class, his second to last year was better than his final season. His second to last year, Christian Ponder, was really, really, really good. He had some games. He had this game against North Carolina where I thought he looked unbelievable. Never really had a great arm, but he was a very good quarterback in college. His final season, he had some elbow injury, wasn't all that good on the field. Kind of similar to Levis, right, where the best work is two years removed. Josh Allen's best work was two years removed. So those are interesting discussions in the draft. How much do you weigh the final season, the last thing that you saw versus the uh, the entire body of work? But Levis, Levis goes at seven, puts the Falcons on the board. They might be in the quarterback market as well, like you said. They're going Peter Skaronsky, the tackle from Northwestern here, though, to uh, shore up the offensive line. Yeah, which I think makes some sense. Um, they're probably losing Caleb McGarry into free agency, who had a career year this year anyway in the most run-heavy offense in the NFL. That has a feel of um, David Questenberry to it, you know, coming off a career year where you were primarily dominant as a run blocker, not so much as a pass protector. Yeah, I would let that guy walk and expect him not necessarily to do that again next year. So replacing him kind of like for like with the best offensive tackle on your board, I think makes a lot of sense. And then we get to number nine. The Carolina Panthers are going with Anthony Richardson. And uh, this is where Todd, Todd drops in a little nugget from the Elias Sports Bureau oh, yeah? that we've never seen three or more teams hire a new coach and draft a new quarterback in the top 10 in the same season. So that would be the Colts at one, the Texans at two, and then the Panthers at nine. I'm massively fascinated by the mechanics of how that nugget comes about. Like, how does the system work that it just sort of flags X thing has never happened? I think it starts from Todd sitting here with his ghostwriter saying, hey, pick Anthony Richardson at nine. Uh -huh. And then the light bulb goes off. He goes, hmm, another new coach, get another so new you think quarterback. It's entirely human and then he goes, driven. then he looks up and he's like, wow, this team right? The Colts have a new coach and a quarterback. Texans have a new coach and quarterback. Now the Panthers do. I wonder how often this happens. Yeah. And then you call Elias. You get him the old phone. You get the rotary dial. You call him up, call Elias, tell them to look it up. So it's a, the red phone with the button. Just the uh, the, yeah, button. call up Elias. Yeah. At any time of the night, it's probably 24-7 answering service. <laughs> Elias goes, they, you know, type it out and they, they fax back yeah. an answer. So you think it's entirely human driven as opposed to like some random database that's like highlighting random ass things that have never happened before yeah how would that work that's what i'm asking yeah like todd's not just like he types in anthony richardson and it's like ding 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 you just had a third quarterback go in the top 10 but there are people who tweet things that look a lot like that's what happens it's like here's here's just the five random things that have never happened before this week no that's why you Courtesy get the, of stuff. the Elias sports bureau that's why you get stuff with so many parameters it's like yeah I wonder how many quarterbacks have had 3,000 passing yards and 700 rushing yards and 10 passing touchdowns and 10 rushing touchdowns and four fumbles. You type it all in, and it returns back the three guys that have done that. Mm. So there you go, on the red phone. Call the red phone. Okay. I don't even – I think Anthony Richardson is – I'll repeat this a million times between the draft. He'll be polarizing not in the evaluation but in the valuation. Anthony Richardson will be polarizing in where people value the skill set. I think almost every scouting report is going to look the same. Yeah. Right? We're all going to agree what we've seen from Anthony Richardson. Well, he's the classic, he's the classic um, like test of what we've learned in recent years of these toolsy quarterbacks working out. Right? 
It's like, all right, given that X has happened, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, whatever, like this run of quarterbacks that have had skill sets that are unusual, that have all panned out. Um, now Anthony Richardson comes along. It's like, all right, what did you learn? Because here's your test case. A guy who does not play the quarterback position the way it's supposed to be played, quote unquote, you know, drawn up by the book, but has absurd physical tools and does try and do a lot of things, you know, from the pocket. And like, you can see him trying to do good process. It just doesn't work yet. So, all right, what can you, are you going to turn him into Josh Allen? Or do you think that it was a special set of circumstances that caused Josh Allen to be Josh Allen? Like, to me, this is like a, fan, a, a, a really intriguing like case study in, in what the NFL thinks now after that run. So here's what I think about those comparisons. Um, I, I don't – the Josh Allen comp makes sense from just a tool standpoint, but from a production standpoint, Josh Allen had an incredible um, – people want me to say penultimate season mm. instead of second to last. Good Learned. word. Penultimate Good season. Word. Penultimate season for Josh Allen was, was fantastic, right? So Josh Allen was actually a more productive college quarterback in my mind than Anthony Richardson. I do think there are some comparisons to Justin Fields where I think Richardson's athleticism could step right in and he's, what, a top three or four runner at the quarterback position? Is he right up there? I think Lamar and Fields have put themselves in a different category now. I wasn't expecting Fields to be there. Jalen Hurts, different stylistically, but he's up there from a production standpoint. Daniel Jones, of course. course. Josh Allen. But I think Richardson's right up there in that conversation where you're raising the floor of your offense Absolutely. despite a high-ceiling player like Richardson. Well done on remembering Vanilla Vic. You have to. Have to, always. I mean, Jones, top 20 rushing quarterback in the season of all time. Of all time, yeah. yeah. Six or seven first downs. It's one of, the, one of the most inexplicable things to have ever happened in the NFL. But, but he's fast. But it's, but it's there. He's fast. So Richardson at least does that for your offense. And then it also reminds me a little bit of – Lamar Jackson, where I think we had the proper criticism of Lamar. Like, he missed a lot of throws, right? He just mi- he still misses a lot of throws. But, when he's, but he also has a lot of really good accurate throws. He also was not the narrative of, like, I'm just going to run around and make a play. Lamar Jackson was never that at Louisville or with the Ravens. He does go through reads, progressions, and the whole thing. Richardson does that stuff, right? He tries, right? He tries to, you know, he steps up in the pocket well. Like, he does subtle quarterback things well he just misses a ton of throws he misses a ton of throws and he's just so inconsistent but he's also got this high level of running ability and an absolute cannon for an arm yeah this is one of the most popular like player to team picks in mock drafts i've seen a lot of people have richardson ending up in carolina and at nine as well so it it makes a lot of sense they still need to keep swinging a quarterback so I it, it is one that connects the dots quite well I do think the Richardson you know a lot of people are going to be talking about him does he need to sit year one all those kinds of things I think we're reaching this point now where if you can bring that rushing threat to the table I don't think you necessarily need to sit year one now kind of thought that a little bit about Malik Willis as well and he really didn't <laughs> like that wouldn't have gone well if Malik Willis had to play year one. We saw that, like they gave him a game and then we're like, you know what, actually we're going to sign Josh Dobbs off the street and do that better. So there's obviously a limit to that, but I don't think it's necessarily an automatic 
that you draft Richardson, you need to sit him for the first year. Are those the two ends of the spectrum that teams are going to look at here, though, and say some are going to look at Anthony Richardson and say, well, look at Josh Allen. This is the closest thing we've seen since Josh Allen, size, speed, arm strength-wise. And then other people might look at Malik Willis and say, even though you know we were pushing – we were pushing him as a first rounder last year because we play this keep swinging at quarterbacks game, right? He yeah. falls to the third, and when he did play, to your point, he wasn't ready. Like he shouldn't have been out there. Are people going to look and say, "Well, the last thing we saw was Malik Willis, Richardson, similar"? I, I I don't want that in the first round. Yeah, I I don't know. I I think you need to be extremely incapable as a passing quarterback and from that I don't mean just mean the throws you can make but like can you read a defense can you work through passing concepts can you run through reads you need to be very very far away from that stuff I think to offset being a special athlete from a rushing point of view in today's NFL like I think that's the point we've reached where the floor that being a dynamic rushing athlete brings is so high that you need to be terrible from a passing point of view to offset that completely. Justin Fields wasn't good as a passing quarterback and was still getting all kinds of crazy talk during the season because he was that good as a runner. So if Richardson is anything like what he looks like rushing-wise, he would need to be truly awful, I think, to not start and not play in year one from a passing point of view. Man, I'm going to – do you think teams should just try to – sit a guy for the entire year and stay dedicated to it. I know the stats, like if it depends on how you view the stats, right? But if we're talking about Tom Brady sad and Patrick Mahomes sad and Carson Palmer, like there's this list of players who legitimately didn't play their first year other than like a game. Could you, and I know there's also guys who just start right away and go. It's, is it okay to just stay dedicated to that and just say, well, you're literally just going to sit and learn this entire year. We'll unleash you in year two. I'm just not sure what you learn from being on the sideline anymore. Like, you don't get the practice time. So I think there might have been a time where you could learn from the sideline because you would get a lot of practice reps as number two. You don't get that anymore because practice time is so small and diminished and therefore valuable. All the, all the reps go to the starter. So you're not getting the kind of practice time that you might need to get better off the field. The only way it makes any kind of sense is if you need to be kind of taught schematic football, you know, of a, a sort of basic X's and O's level that you're not there. And I doubt that many guys are getting drafted anything like, you know, the top round of the draft if they're not on that page already. Like if you're so far off, part of what they do is they bring these guys in, they put them up on a chalkboard and they say, all right, what's your favorite play? Draw it up what would happen against this defense? Like they try and find out where you are from a foot quote unquote football IQ standpoint. So if you're, if you fail that, I don't think anybody's getting drafted in the first round. That's the only way I think it would, you get any value out of learning from the sideline. I think you need to be playing. And the only different, the only thing for me is the only uh, thing that would invalidate that is if the situation around you is so terrible that by playing you actually harm the guy's development you could definitely make that case for Justin Fields last year and he overcame it which I think is a reason that I would keep him around and not trade him away right but that would be the only thing that would make me want to sit a quarterback for his rookie year now is if I looked at the situation I go this guy will get worse playing within this situation like for his own protection and therefore for this team's future betterment 
he can't play. We've talked about having like extra QB coaches and stuff like that. Like, what if the and, and you've also made the statement that the 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 Ravens just went away and went went away in the basement and crafted a Lamar Jackson offense, mm-hmm. right? While they had Joe Flacco in their transition year. What if a team did that? Have a transition year, have an extra QB coach or something just for Richardson or whoever, um, and all all you're doing all year is fundamentals, skills, new offense, whatever it might be. And that's all your focus is. Your entire organizational philosophy is this guy needs to be ready for next year. He's our third stringer this year. Yeah, I still just – And it think, could be any quarterback. I don't think that's going to take you all year. I mean, it didn't take Lamar and the Ravens all year to get that for, figured out. I can see that being a reason you, like, keep a guy on the bench till a bye week or whatever. Yeah. We need to build a whole offense around him. We need to teach him a few bits and pieces. We need to get a quarterback coach working with him. And that's going to take a few months. My take, take, though, weeks. is, yeah, whenever they're ready – Week 10, week 14, and we've seen Jalen Hurts took over late his rookie season, continued to progress. Lamar Jackson took over late his rookie season, continued to progress. So there's there's examples of it working every which way. I'm just not sure I would buy somebody selling me the idea that that needs to take 12 months to happen. All right, let's break down some of the non-QB picks here. Number 10, the Philadelphia Eagles. They were in the Super Bowl. They still have the number 10 pick because of their trade last year with the Saints. Brian Brissy, defensive tackle from Clemson is where Todd's going here. Right position, wrong player, I think, would be my interpretation of this one. Who's the player? Who's the correct player? Who should they take? Yeah, did you have another player in mind? Not necessarily. I just think Brian Brissy is not the guy I would want to take at number 10 overall. Oh, okay. It's just not that good. Right. For you. Him and Miles Murphy are both uh, both Clemson guys. I'd, I've seen other the ebbs and flows of where they're – where they're going here a lot of people have them in the top 10 and i do see a lot more people having them in the 20s and 30s or 20s late 20s yeah now versus a good solid player i mean he's fine um that's not selling number 10 overall though no i get it if you're the i don't want to rehash the whole saints trade we'll do that another time here where you go back and say this would be pick number 10 theoretically for the saints they gave up all those picks just for chris Olave, trevor penning that's what they got out of it Alave was essentially worth five picks. This is one of those picks, I believe. When you deconstruct that trade, that needs to be worth, you know, that adds up to the worth of Chris Alave. And I think Alave is fantastic, but this is where the Saints, who are pushing the credit card debt, really start to have their depth challenged because they don't have this number 10 pick here, which would be a nice, cheap, presumably a good player. Mm-hmm. Um, an intriguing place to go here for the Eagles would they be do. corner they do get a first rounder back though from the Sean Payton gig true but those are separate worlds right sure but I mean it's lower down but like it's not like they just don't have a first round pick this year no I get it I'm just saying you could have both yeah you can have both I mean uh-huh. it's like the per- it's like the people who say well we got a comp pick so we traded it because we weren't supposed to have it like you kind of were yeah, supposed yeah. To have I'm, it. I'm with you that trading away their first rounder to for last year was bad but I'm just saying they did manage to mitigate that a little bit yeah proceeds a solid player um, I'm curious, and, and I think I think defensive line always makes sense for the Eagles. That's an organizational philosophy. That's where they're going to go with things. Um, I wonder if they should attack, if they would look at corner here, because this is where the corner value starts to become um, become good, right? Between ten and twenty, James Bradbury's a free agent. Chauncey Gardner Johnson's more of a safety, but you know, flexible player. That's a free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian Branch could fit in to that role. I think I've seen him mocked there. He'll go a little bit later. The uh, nickel safety for um, nickel slash safety for the, for Bama could be a good fit. But I wonder if corner, the place where they were so patient last year, 
and made one of my favorite moves of the offseason, James Bradbury, if that could be in play here for the Eagles. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, they're, they're in this position where they have probably the best roster in the NFL. They're just picking around the various elements of um, how can we tweak here or there. They're always reloading on the defensive line. That's an obvious area, and then secondary would be the other one. Breaking down Todd McShay's mock draft or pick number 11, the Tennessee Titans are going Paris Johnson, the offensive tackle for Ohio State's second offensive tackle off the board. And, you know, making making sense here for Tennessee where a friend of the show, Taylor Luan, could be on his way out. Paris Johnson could be his replacement, potentially a left tackle here. I'm sure I'd go all the way for to, to friend of the show. Anyone who's been on the show is a yeah. friend. Um, yeah, like the – Titans had the worst offensive line in the NFL last year. Some of that was injuries, some of it wasn't. So any pick on the offensive line for Tennessee, I think, makes a lot of sense. Anything else to add to that? Not really. Take your favorite offensive lineman, draft him at number 11, and move on. We have not neglected the Titans. That's just, you know, it's a tackle pick. Mm -hmm. Houston Texans at 12, so they're back up on the clock. Cleveland Browns pick here from the Deshaun Watson trade. Texans are going Quentin Johnson here. In Todd McShay's draft. Wide receiver, TCU. Yeah. Um, Quentin Johnson is going to be, I think, the most fascinating wide receiver debate this this year. Uh, I don't like him as much as other people. Mike Renner loves him. And you can kind of see why people do like him. Because this is another year where there aren't a ton of, like, prototypical size freak type receivers. You know, there aren't these guys that are six, <coughs> six foot Several, you know, six foot three plus, big, fast, that type of receiver. It's not a year for those guys. Now you don't always need those guys, right? Garrett Wilson wasn't one of those players a year ago, and he was really, really good, rookie of the year caliber. Um, but if you're a team looking for that, like, you know, who's the guy that can come closest to Julio Jones in this draft? You have to start with that kind of body size because it does make a difference, and. You can see there are elements of Quentin Johnson's game where he has movement skills for a guy that size that are, un, that are rare, that are unusual. But he's not as good a wide receiver as some of these other guys. So it's, it's another case of how much do you value physical tools versus polish at the position. Um, and we know that there are NFL teams that value the physical part way more than the other part. I'm, yeah, and the, the other thing about wide receiver that we like to harp on here, like the previous pick at tackle, if we looked at Paris Johnson and said, he's a good pass blocker, but he's terrible as a run blocker, you can't really hide that. Like, you have to run block. You have to be able to do both things. At receiver, you don't have to do everything. I mean, if you say this guy's not good on, in the short game or doesn't, you know, he's not good after the catch, that's fine. You're a deep threat. You know, our, you're our big body deep threat. That makes it easier, I think to get away with receiver picks when you have players who aren't as polished. And then, especially with a Quentin Johnson, you can't teach the size and the right. and the speed. So if those things develop, great. If they don't develop, you can have a DK Metcalf type. I don't think he's DK Metcalf as a prospect, but DK, all he did was run goes and slants his first year. Yeah. And that was fine. Like, if he didn't develop any other part of his game, he was still valuable there because he was so good at it. Quentin Johnson, there might be elements of that to his game, but I just don't love parts of his game as well, like there's, you're saying. There's another nugget in this. Uh, I like I like the nugget. I looked it up to but this one. Me. This one is from ESPN Stats and Info. Elias, they they let they let they drop the ball on that. That's one. the green phone. The green phone. You call but it I'm the green like, phone again. You, Mister, what's the mechanism here? How did Elias not have this one? Well, I think what happens is you start 
You check ESPN. If With they don't have it, info. you go to Elias. You and hit ESPN the red stats phone. and info doesn't go all the way back. Elias has been doing this thing since like the 30s. You know, stats and info hasn't been going back as far. Okay. So if you're saying this is the first time since, you go to stats and info. Right. If you're saying if this is the first time in history, you go to Elias. Okay. So his nugget is if the Texans go this route, they'd be the first team since 2010 to draft a quarterback and a new receiver for him in the same first round when Denver did it. That would be Tim Tebow and the late Demarius Thomas. Hmm. That was the combo. Okay. Why did baseball talk pop up? Baseball rugby talk? Am I on delay here? What happened? Anyway. Quentin Johnson at 12 to the Houston Texans. Don't make faces at me during awkward silences. Mm. New York Jets are at 13. They go Broderick Jones, the tackle from Georgia. Yeah. Um, I like Broderick Jones. I think he's a first-round tackle. How's that? Okay. The the Jets' offensive line is a weird one because they kind of fell apart last year, largely due to injuries. Um, I think they actually have a pretty good starting five if all five of those guys were healthy. So how do you treat that going forward? You, you can't bank on Mackay Becton at this point. Yeah. Um, like, do you just try and insure it? with extra bodies and keep going or do you work on the basis that actually if five guys just don't get hurt next year right we're in a pretty good spot i mean picking a tackle is fine because becton's in the last deal uh, last year of his contract regardless of whether or not he plays he's only played a handful of snaps literally just like hundreds of snaps in his in his nfl career yeah so you can't rely on him there um right tackle still a bit of a question right george fant isn't he even Free agency. Yeah, so he's a free agent. He should be higher. Dwayne Brown also here. free agent, right? Or are they signing for two years? Yeah. Um, I think Dwayne Brown is still around. But he's older. So right <laughs> tackle's a question, he is right? Max Mitchell is, is slated as the starter right now. I think you also need to figure out what you want to do with Elijah Vera Tucker. So I think he's shown he can actually play four out of the five positions on that offensive line probably yep. quite well. And you just sort of need to figure out where you want to put him. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. But um, I think this makes sense for the Jets. You could try to make splashes in, in other places, but they've built – they're that team, right, that's kind of like built a good enough roster that there's not this yeah. glaring need that needs to be fit here. And that you can get a tackle that's you know either going to be an immediate starter or just a, a two-year play here with Becton leaving. And obviously we assume they will find a quarterback in the veteran market somewhere. Yes. Trade or, or free agency or whatever. New England Patriots going Joey Porter Jr., who's a cornerback – for Penn State, not a not an edge rusher. Mm. I really like this pick. Here's your first corner off the board, and there'll be a, a little run here. I like this pick for New England, the way they like to play defense, get a, a long corner who's uh, a nuisance at the catch point. Yeah, he's a classic Patriots cornerback, uh, only they don't necessarily play that way anymore. <laughs> they still probably want to. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, that's this kind of pick would, I think, lean one way or the other in that question like do they actually want to play that type of defense because that it's not like Bill Belichick has always gone the way the wind is blowing when it comes to scheme in the NFL like he tends to zig when everybody else is zagging but the league is heading in the opposite direction to this type of corner they are playing less press man coverage more zone stuff um so do the Patriots actually want to play the type of defense that they played for the last half a decade or do they want to go to more 
of a conventional system relative to everybody else. I've watched a little bit of Porter. I do think he he does play better as press. A, you know, a little bit more questionable from a zone standpoint, not to oversimplify. So I don't hate that though as a pick. I think at at, it, at their core, New England likes to mix it up, do both, and I think they want to play more man if they've got the the corners to do it. And I think Joey Porter would help that. Mm-hmm. Green Bay Packers at 15 going Michael Mayer, tight end from Notre Dame. Like it. I like it a lot as well. For Jordan Love. Jordan Love, uh, get him a nice tight end here. For Jordan Love. If Aaron Rodgers was the QB with the Packers, and I know that rookie tight ends aren't always the you know, the most immediate impact here or anything. Christian Watson as the deep threat, Mayer work in the middle of the field figure out who the possession guy is, if it's Dobbs or someone else. No, I mean, if it was Rodgers, they'd immediately change the pick to a cornerback just to troll him. Oh, they would probably, yeah. yeah. They'd go defense, right. for sure. So, Michael Mayer, a nice weapon for Jordan Love, potentially, here in Green Bay. Yeah. We're going to have all this drama, and then Rodgers is going back. I think they? their young wide receivers, they took some time to get going, but I think they showed enough over the course of their rookie year that you would be reasonably confident in them going forward. Robert Tunyon, though, at tight end, just just ain't it. They they need to upgrade there. And also, needless to say, the 27-year veteran Mercedes Lewis is probably not going to be the guy either. A couple more corners off the board here. Number 16, Washington Commanders. They go Devin Witherspoon out of Illinois. And then the Steelers go cornerback Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon. So as we've said, none of these guys – we'll see what happens by draft time. I don't think any of these guys are seen as top 10 picks. I like, I mean, we would value corners higher than the NFL, maybe pick them higher, but this is a good, I think these are good picks for both teams. We'll throw Detroit in there as well. We have a three, oh, yeah, three in a row, sorry. Three corner run. Washington go Devin Witherspoon from Illinois. Pittsburgh go Christian Gonzalez from Oregon. And Detroit at 18 goes Keely Ringo from Georgia. Um, all three, I think, make sense in terms of teams that need corners, like need to make additions at this spot. The only question is which corner goes for which team. Yeah, so they all have their own uh, questions. Witherspoon was a one-year breakout, but, I mean, there's – I don't think there's any corner who has more fun tape than Devin Witherspoon. Just flies around like an absolute missile. Hits people hard. Hits people. I mean, just um, most improved player in the nation maybe this past year. 92 PFF grade, 92.5 coverage grade. Uh, my favorite play of the year was him breaking up a swing pass from outside corner. Read it and absolutely demolished the running back. So Witherspoon's a, a fun player that I think could end up in the top ten when people at the end of the day. Christian Gonzalez has the six foot two size, the length to play man. He makes things very difficult in uh, in one on one coverage down the field. And then Keely Ringo, who probably had his better seasons prior to 2022, he gave up some explosives this year. I've seen him fall. I, th- I forget where he's uh, is on our big board right now, but I think he's more in the second round range. I think a lot of people have soured on Ringo as a as a first-round prospect and maybe have him more in the second, but still a good player, just didn't have as good of a season this year as uh, people expected. Yeah, the corner group this year is very strange. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, divergent opinions. There's going to be a lot of guesswork involved in this group because there are a lot of weird factors like, you know, had his best year a year ago or has one year of tape or blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of it's going to be a very difficult group, I think, to unpick this season. So that's four out of five picks in a row that are corners. There's another one coming up in a couple picks. We'll get to that in a second. The Tampa Bay Bucks are on the clock at 19. They go Lucas Van Ness, the power rusher from Iowa, edge slash interior player, but more of an edge. 
power type of player out of Iowa that's been very good. Um, hasn't played a ton of football, but Bucks, you know, I think one of the biggest questions of this offseason is where do they go um, as, a, as an organization? Do they just start from scratch? Do they completely rebuild? I keep bringing up Mike Evans as a trade candidate. You know, other people have as well, but they poo-poo that as well because they're, they've got all the Tom Brady dead money. You'd have a lot more dead money from Mike Evans, but do you just suck it up and go all the dead money this year if you're the Bucks? This would give them a really fun group of defensive linemen, actually, when you think about what they have. Obviously, you know, Shaquille Barrett's coming back from a torn Achilles. Who knows what he's going to play like at that point, given his age and the injury that he's coming back off. That's just to sort of park him to the side for a moment. But just the players that they would have, Vita Vea, obviously, in the interior, is just this singular freak from a size, strength, potential ability. You've got... Um, Joe Tryon Shainka, who started to show a little bit towards the end of last year, is that pure speed explosion type of pass rusher. Um, you've got Lucas Van Ness presumably being added to the other side and try and add that. You've got who did they draft last year? His name is Logan Hall. Logan Hall. That's it. It's so really interior, yep. edgy hybrid type of guy. Like that's a an intriguing group of defensive linemen that don't necessarily. Not sure any of them fit conventionally into a normal position bucket, but all of them together gives them quite a, an array and diversity of defensive linemen. And a few of those picks, even though it was like, hey, we're going to make one last run with Tom Brady over the last couple of years, a few of those picks were more developmental type of prospects where they're all going to have to step up right now. They'll also have a potential hole at corner with Jamel Dean hitting free agency. So cornerback could be in the mix for the Bucks here in the first round as well. Seattle Seahawks up on the clock again. Remember, they took Tyree Wilson at five. They're going Brian Branch, the safety out of Alabama. I think the stat you're going to hear over and over again was his tackling. Only had a handful of missed tackles in college. Good, dependable player. And if he's a pure safety, we're talking about Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs. Already in the secondary, but you're adding depth there. And then, you know, the next, the next pieces, the next piece as those guys move on in the coming years. Yeah, this is a... This is quite a test of how much, you know, sometimes there's a debate as to position value uh, or area of need rather versus just best player available, right? And then there's generally a thought that, okay, even if you don't need a guy this year, you can draft a guy with the idea that next year he becomes a starter and moves on. The question is how many years into the future can that be true before it's just not smart, you know, and you're just simply drafting a backup in the first round and that probably isn't a great idea Seattle is complicated so Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs are in theory the starting safeties they're both under contract for some time to come still with Jamal Adams there's also the idea of they traded so much to get him you have to assume they're going to be quite reluctant to just get rid of him at any point um also, Ryan Neal last year ends up being a starter for the majority of the year because Jamal Adams goes down, and Ryan Neal had like an all-pro caliber season. So you already have a really good backup, even if you need the contingency of that. So do you bring another guy in to potentially be three or four in your group of safeties, even in this world of nickel, big nickel, you know, sub-packages where you can get more safeties on the field? I don't know. It just feels like a reach in terms of, anything he can do to, to actually justify that with playing time it's not i don't know if it's a reach for the player but no. i see what you're saying from right like a, from a, them a actually being able to get him yeah. on the field enough to make use of it 
it feels like a stretch. Uh, Jamal Adams has cap hits of 24 and 25 million starting in 2000. Yeah. 24. So I think it is like a year in advance type of move. Branch can also line up over the slot. He does have some versatility. I'm interested in Seattle maybe going the playmaker route here. There's other tight ends on the board. This is where receiver might see a little bit of a run here in the 20s uh, into the 40s. Because, again, there's not the elite receiver, but there's a which flavor do you like type of receivers. Having some complementary options for DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, could make sense here. And this is also a team that didn't fix their defensive line with one pick. Like, I would would like to see them hammering that defensive line this draft. Uh, 21, the Chargers go Cam Smith, the cornerback out of South Carolina. This is an interesting one. They just invested in J.C. Jackson last year. Do you continue down that road? Is this the... uh, we got to beat Patrick Mahomes, get as many corners as possible. Chargers have tried that before. Hasn't necessarily worked. I'm not saying don't do it, but I like the strategy of throwing a whole lot at the cornerback position. But also remember how the J.C. Jackson thing went this year, which was like unmitigated disaster right up until the point he got injured where it looked like they finally figured out, oh, you know what, let's just play more man coverage with J.C. Jackson. That's what he's really good at. And then almost as soon as they discovered that, bam, knee injury out for the year. So what do you take from that? Like, do you go, okay, actually we figured out what Jackson, how he's really good in this defense. We've got it. We took us a few games that it shouldn't have, but now we know. Or do you say, I mean, Jackson just isn't a good fit for this defense anymore. Like what we signed up for, he doesn't bring to the table, which we discovered in the first few games. And now we're kind of stuck with this guy that doesn't really fit in this defense. And if he does play, we have to change the defense to suit him alone and if we can get an alternative to that, that would be great. <clears throat> All right, here's where it gets interesting, Sam. Bijan Robinson is off the board to the Baltimore Ravens. To the Ravens. At 22. Wow. Um, followed up by the Vikings taking wide receiver Jordan Addison out of USC at 23. And the Jaguars taking wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba out of Ohio State at number 24. So B- Bijan to the Ravens. Yes. Bijan Robinson, running back from Texas, going to the Baltimore Ravens, is one of the most fascinating places you could put him in this draft. Um, this is the guy that we've been talking about as maybe the best running back prospect since Adrian Peterson, or Saquon Barkley is the only other guy in that conversation, I guess. He, he's probably the best running back we've seen in college football since we've been dra- uh, grading to put him on a team like the Ravens where they're one of those sides capable of manufacturing rushing ability from anybody, right? But another one of those teams where they keep they go after running backs better than you think they should because of what they're able to manufacture. Like they went and got J.K. Dobbins having already had this run of guys that can plug in and get six yards per carry because they think, well, okay, if we can get six yards per carry out of these guys that aren't great, what can happen if we get a great running back? Well, I think realistically they were getting five yards per carry. Okay, right? and they went of, to six with J.K. Right, Dobbins. They're out of uh, Gus Edwards. Right. And then it was like, well, if you get a guy that's creative at the second level and can you know take it to the house or whatever, you can legitimately average six yards per carry in this offense. Now the Ravens have had years where their rushing attack was you know like a top seven passing attack or a top six passing attack. Right, So as much as we, we diminish the value of the run game or the running back over here, in an extreme case with the Ravens, do you double down on that? And does Bijan – because I, I was saying when Derrick Henry was a free agent, like what if Derrick Henry went to the Ravens? Is he one of those few guys that would make sense because he is going to legitimately punish defenders 
while Lamar Jackson's hitting you with speed and agility and everything. And it's just like, go ahead, try to defend this. I mean, number one, I just want to see it. So I'm all on board. Yeah. I think this is outstanding. Number two, it is worth remembering that this is not the Greg Roman offense anymore. And we don't really know what this looks like yet. So you would assume that new offensive coordinator Todd Munkin is going to make some changes. On the other hand, how many changes can you make because this offense is extreme on the scale of different to, to the rest of the NFL? It's this Skunk Works offense that they built around Lamar Jackson in the basement during the first year he was there. And it's, okay, it's evolved a little bit since then, but generally speaking, that's what we're dealing with. So if you're a new offensive coordinator tasked with coming in and improving, what do you do? Do you go, okay, we're going to junk this and we're going to run something much more conventional relative to the NFL and we're going to see if Lamar Jackson can play like that? Or do you say, no, this, is, this works. We're going to stick with what's good and we're going to make some tweaks here or there. The place where people like to put running backs, and we'll see this later on here, Buffalo. Everybody wants to put a running back in Buffalo. When that, to me, that's when it starts to get really iffy from like a team building standpoint. First off, I don't think the Bills are going to do it. Um, Jameer Gibbs goes at 27 here. And Gibbs is awesome. Oh, man. There looks like Alvin Kamara sometimes. I mean, the Bills were hot on Kamara back a, a few years ago. I just don't know. That's when like a team that is so good at throwing the ball so good at spreading the ball around and all that stuff they will continue to manufacture running back production the ravens manufacture running back production but you know they're going to get this volume right like you if Bijan's your guy you know he's going to probably get his 20 carries a game and you're not saying that's justifying it but you're just slotting him into a system that already plays like that presumably right i don't know it feels like it's a little bit more justifiable the the interesting discussion though is if you take Bijan over this is maybe the the Rick Spielman discussion here from Friday Jordan Addison who's probably a second tier wide receiver prospect but a speed threat he goes at 23 if you're the Ravens which player makes a bigger impact for your team is it Bijan Robinson the running back or is it Jordan Addison the receiver who can maybe maybe be that guy finally as a complimentary deep threat to Rashad Bateman or at least just another weapon on the outside with Mark Andrews patrol in the middle of the field. Yeah, and it would it would also depend what the Ravens have done, you know, in free agency or whatever. Like sure. if they haven't addressed wide receiver at this point and they pass up on the receivers in the draft to take B. John Robinson, that feels like a very, very difficult sell. I'd still love to see it because B. John Robinson in that offense just feels like fun. But I think it would be pretty hard to defend if they haven't really addressed wide receiver and they pass up on every receiver in this draft except for Quentin Johnson. Who do you think has a bigger impact then? For the Ravens. Jordan Addison or Bijan Robinson? The receiver. Any of them. Yeah. And so that goes to this whole Bijan Bijan is a blue chip player, but I think when you're trying to maximize offensive production, it's easier to get running back production than it is even receiver in, production. Even in the Greg Roman offense, I think wide receiver would make a bigger difference. And you have to assume that any change that Munkin makes will move it more in that direction. I like this Addison pick for the Vikings. Though. Love it. I, I like it a lot. Adam Thielen gets older and just uh, keep the pressure on opposing defenses. And, uh, and this got to be this has to be the Vikings focus this offseason, right? Like those games where Justin Jefferson is taken away yeah. with two or three guys, 
let's let's build the other options. Thielen's deep into his 30s at this point. He used to be a great complimentary piece where if you slept on the number one, whether it was Stephon Diggs or um, Justin Jefferson, if you slept on that guy, uh, Adam Thielen could pop off and have a big game. I don't think he's really capable of doing that anymore. It's like K.J. Osborne is having those games now. So Thielen might be able to make a great catch every now and again or, or still, you know, pick up some production. But, yeah, if you could bring in a Jordan Addison, who I think is the best wide receiver in this draft class, he's just good at everything. Um, and I think he is position flexible. You can play him outside. You can play him inside. I, he's just he's good at everything. Like bringing him in to replace Thielen long term I think is a fantastic move. And then the Jags go in Jackson Smith and Jigba, the wide receiver out of Ohio State at 24. I don't know. I'm torn on this one because Smith and Jigba did, spent most of his time in the slot. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean he can't work outside, but he spends most of his time in the slot. I don't think he's a. I don't think he's going to have a great speed if he runs. Feels like plays like a four-five type of guy. It also feels like the Jags, who do have some speed, they need a true X. Now is that Calvin Ridley? I don't think that's Calvin Ridley. I think Calvin Ridley's an outside receiver. I don't think he when he played true X receiver didn't have the best results with Atlanta. I like the idea of just throwing more targets out there for Trevor Lawrence, but Smith and Jigman feels like another middle-of-the-field target for the Jags when they could use a, a one-on-one dominator on the outside. He's a very weird wide receiver to me. Everything about his game is unusual and unconventional and not normal. Um, he's going to get talked about as just being the slot guy only. I actually think schematically and fundamentally he has a skill set that works better as an X as an outside guy against press coverage. I think he's better at that stuff than he is working the slot, actually. I don't know. He doesn't... Weird for a guy that was as productive as he was in the slot, but I don't know that he has the best feel for it in the world. Um, he might be a much better X receiver in the, at the NFL level than he is playing inside. But even if he isn't, even if he is a Z or a slot guy, a guy that needs to be off the line of scrimmage and work space rather than against aggressive man coverage... When you start putting all those guys together, and if you assume Ridley gets unsuspended at the end of this year, Christian Kirk, Ridley, Smith and Jigba, like all of a sudden I think you're putting together a composite that works even if you don't have the one alpha Julio Jones X type receiver. So I think it, it makes sense. And in this offseason, that might have to be the play, right? If, if DeAndre Hopkins is the most common name out there on the market, if the Jags don't land someone like New Hopkins, who by the way would be awesome, with that, with that cast, right? Then maybe you just focus on tight end after that. But if you can't land a new Hopkins, and the Mike Evans thing is just in my head and not in reality, there's not a whole lot of, of those receivers available. Do you attack it with the composite of different, different types? So I'm all for just adding receivers and pass catchers and playmakers and all that stuff. Just interesting to see where Smith and Jigbo might so, fit so in here. I, generally, I don't, if you miss, an in, miss their final year due to injury, whatever it happens um it tends it's very unusual for a guy to miss basically an entire year with a hamstring injury which is a bit yeah i don't know what was actually happening there but anytime hamstrings are involved i think even at a young age that's a little iffy those tend to pop up and they become those four to six week nagging injuries yeah who's nagged the entire year yeah which is weird i know so i don't know i'm no doctor you're closer to doctors than i am well as somebody that had a hamstring injury that I kept re-aggravating because it was while I was coaching. So, you know, you're refereeing little kids and you got to move. And as yeah. soon as you move, it's like the hamstring goes again. It's like, God damn it. 
You can relate. Yeah. So somebody that that had a hamstring injury for a vast period of time longer than it should have existed. I get it, you know? And also, again, you play tag rugby. You strap it up, right? You're like, I'll just go 80%. It's very difficult to not sprint when you have to go 80%. So I get it. I understand how you can keep pulling the hamstring time after time. But that's presumably where the medical staff has to step in and be like, let me save you from you. Don't strap your hamstring up and try and run on it anyway, because you will hurt it again. You know? You're comparing your coaching slash tag rugby uh-huh. hamstring injury. Yes. To what an elite athlete like Jackson Smith and Jigba was dealing with last year at Ohio State. Uh-huh. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's why that's why people tune in here. I mean, I don't think you appreciate the the elite level of speed I had back then. Well, that's also why now, you are a top five I didn't NFL have, Irish analyst. I certainly didn't have the elite level of uh, medical support staff that he has available yeah. to him, or indeed rehab facility. But, they literally uh, did say tape it up and go. Well, it's they didn't, tag rugby. They didn't even say that. I decided that because I'm an idiot. Yeah. So, something to think about if the Jags are going to play tag rugby mm-hmm. next year. Mm-hmm. Giants at 25, they're going receiver Zay Flowers out of Boston College. Yeah. I like this. A lot of guys love Zay Flowers. Speed, elusiveness. Steve Smith was raving about him. Yeah. Thinks he's amazing. I don't, why did he – I don't know. No, no disrespect to the Shrine Bowl, mm-hmm. but why wasn't Zay going to the Senior Bowl? I don't Went know. to the Shrine Bowl. Why don't you uh, ask Jim Nagy? Uh, or differently phrased, Eric Galco and the Shrine Bowl are making plays. Mm-hmm. Making plays, getting some first-rounders in there, like Zay Flowers. That's what the Shrine Bowl is trying to do. Continue to up their profile, and they're doing a great job. They brought in some excellent players this year. So Zay Flowers, I like this fit. Get some weapons in there. Yeah. Do it. Draft all the receivers. Particularly given the ones that have already gone off the board, I think that's a good deal for New York. Flowers will be an interesting one for me because the production's not necessarily there. But um, but everyone loves him. He's that guy where everyone puts on the tape and goes, this guy's Which is fine. Him. I love him on tape, too. My... Um, the model doesn't love him from a production standpoint. I think that's quarterback-driven over there. Yeah. But Zay Flowers, I love him on tape as well. Who's I think he's the fantastic. last one of those guys where, like, just everybody loved that dude? Particularly Quentin, a wide receiver. Quentin Nelson? There's usually, no, wide receiver. There's usually one of those, you know, every couple of years where everybody's like, this guy is amazing. Even though we know he's going to go, like, mid, mid-tier mid given the his position. There's usually a wide receiver that every now and again everyone comes along and goes, that guy's great. A.J. Brown? Why did anybody not like A.J. Brown? Right. Number 26 overall, Dallas Cowboys going Osiris Torrance, the guard out of Florida. One-year stop at Florida. Consensus top guard. Um, Cowboys going that route. Does that make sense there? Shore up the offensive line even further. Another, I mean, last year they basically drafted a guard as well, Tyler Smith. Right. Well, they did. They drafted a guy that they were expecting to play guard all season, and then he didn't because they needed tackles because everyone got hurt. So, Terrence Steele, presumably coming back off his injury. Tyron Smith is still going to be back again, but how much can you rely on Tyron Smith staying healthy at left tackle? And then Tyler Smith, who presumably starts at guard until one of those guys gets hurt, they need him a tackle. I guess it's contingency, and, you know, maybe you can – I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sold on this one. I think this is – I don't know where Todd's going with this one. He's talking about Connor McGovern's contract expiring. They still have Zach Martin and Tyler Smith. I don't know if there's an assumption that Tyler Smith moves to left tackle sooner rather than later. Yeah. You know, maybe 
maybe the Cowboys move on. I mean, maybe they're Tyron Smith. Maybe his performance at left tackle as opposed to guard in his first year changed some projections as to what they think he's going to be going forward. Like we drafted this guy, he's going to be our starting guard. We're set at tackle, and we think he's maybe got some problems at tackle anyway, given his college tape, how raw he was, et cetera, et cetera. All of a sudden, you're like, actually, he's already a pretty good starting tackle. Maybe we can go in a different direction with this. Yeah, so I don't love that pick for the Cowboys overall. Um, I think they need to get back to the playmaker market. Did I see Micah Parsons also said, I don't know why we made the Amari Cooper trade? Do reporters just call up Micah Parsons knowing he's going to say something? I would at this point. Yeah. Hey, Micah, what do you think of this? What do yeah. you think of this? What do you think of Jerry Jones? Just to ask him about everything because he'll give you an opinion. Uh-huh. And they'll have some sort of quote coming out of that. I think Dallas is going to be another playmaker-driven offseason. Um, Todd does mention that maybe they'll be enticed by B. John Robinson if he was available. Mm-hmm. And that would be interesting. I think they'd be interested in a wide receiver, but we just had a run on them. I think this right. particular draft board kind of screws them in that that regard, but I'm still not 100% sure I'd get the Torrance pick. Here's the common one. Buffalo Bills taking Jabir Gibbs, running back out of Alabama. Yeah, I don't nah, don't really get it. It's another yeah. team where I, I think they're going to assess their AAR this offseason is going to be receiver opposite Stephon Diggs. Gabriel yeah. Davis is a better three than a two, so we have to attack that, whether it's in free agency or via trade. And again, you just had a run of them, so that right. that's problematic. But I, I just even specifically this running back, I don't quite understand why it makes sense for them. Why not? Get, I mean, Gibbs is outstanding. Well, he's dynamic, catching the, catching the but ball, it, yeah, like, open field. So his his selling point primarily is the run after the catch, yeah. receiving element, which is exactly why you just drafted James Cook, who started to look really no, good. No, no, I, I understand. Like yeah. it, they, you know, that if if this was a year ago, I would understand it a lot more because yeah. that's exactly the sell, sales pitch that was used for James Cook. Is hey, we've got this backfield that we kind of like anyway, but what we really want to do is add run after the catch skills for Josh Allen. You know, give him some free plays where we just dump it off to the running back and James Cook makes some play after the catch, just improves production. That was literally exactly the sales pitch they used all the way along, and it made sense. But you drafted that guy, and he looked fine doing that, and you traded for Naheem Hines during the season, so you sort of doubled up on that spot. You don't, you need it less now than you needed it a year ago. So I don't get it. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people are going to put running back in Buffalo. I don't think they'll go running back. Same. So, I love Gibbs, though. Love Gibbs as a player. I love this pick for the Bengals, too. Dalton Kincaid, the tight end for Cincinnati. I saw somebody earlier in during the season or something mock Michael Mayer to the Bengals when they were estimated to pick at 22 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I think any of those, uh, Luke Musgraves, the other tight end, there's three tight ends discussed at least in the first round mix here. I like any of any pass-catching tight end to the Bengals. Kincaid's more of your H-back body, 240 pounds. Really effective. Really effective receiver. And same thing, right? Bengals are going to lose Joe Mixon, presumably, uh, potential cut candidate. Don't don't go crazy at the running back position. You don't have to draft one here. You don't have to go crazy in free agency. Get a guy that's good enough at that position. It's, a, it's Joe Burrow's team, and we have to continue to take pressure off the outside receivers. So Kincaid work in the middle of the field, being an H-back type, I think, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it does as well. Um, given the amount of money that they're presumably about to have to commit to three guys on that offense, the three pass, the two pass catchers and the passer, um, 
anytime they can get really cheap at another important receiving or skill position player, I think it's a move they should try and make. Offensive line is definitely on the table as well, given what happened this year. I, I will say, though, I've been using Jonah Williams a lot as a sort of, hey, the one guy you thought was good and wasn't because he gave up 12 sacks. Remember, I forgot that he – remember he, like, dislocated his kneecap in, like, week four or something and then was out a very short period of time and came back and wasn't good from that period on. Now, it wasn't good over the first four weeks either, so maybe it's coincidental. But it did feel like that was an injury that was going to keep you out for quite a while. Your yeah. kneecap just falls off, and then all of a sudden he's back in the lineup giving up sacks left and right. So maybe – the baseline for Jonah Williams is, in fact, a lot more like his first couple of years than it was last year, in which case he probably goes back to being, we can work with that. Now, you're going to have to pay him at some point anyway, so it, it doesn't necessarily prevent you drafting contingency at left tackle, but it might not be as bad as it looked last year is my and point. The guy that I'm going to push at this range, now that you're talking tackle, it will, it will be interesting if they're able to lock up Jonah Williams, who let's say he's an average plus, average plus tackle, right? What is that worth? That's $17 million, 16 to $18 million. If he, he might think he's worth 20 You can't do that right. with Burrow, Higgins, and Chase. Yeah. Um, Dewan Jones, the monster out of Ohio State, who's probably going to play right tackle, wouldn't hate him at this point for multiple teams that just might have a, a right tackle need. Um, so that would be interesting, too, to see where the Bengals go there. Um, the Saints at number 29 via the Denver Broncos, via the Miami Dolphins, via the San Francisco 49ers. This pick has changed hands. Saints back in the first round. They go Keon White, the edge out of Georgia Tech, more of a power edge, fits their mold. We'll see what they end up doing with Marcus Davenport. He's either a replacement or a compliment and another guy that they add with uh, Cameron Jordan there. Your guy, the big model guy. Yeah, there's a few guys that the model really liked who were not discussed in the first round who are now all of a sudden first-rounders. Keon White is one of them. Dalton Kincaid, who just went off the board at tight end for Utah. The model is, uh, is fond. Steve's draft model out in front of the, con the consensus. Yes. This could be good. So agents have... We, we've talked to some high-end agencies, and what they're really looking for is to know who the first-rounders are going to be a year in advance. Because mm -hmm. that's and then they start recruiting. They want to make sure that they invest their time. In the right people. In the right people. I do need to start looking at that. A year ahead, are we able to better predict first-rounders than, say, the early mock drafts and all that stuff? Mm -hmm. Because this could be good. This could be a good for the model here. Keon White going in the first round to the Saints. Anything we can do to, to publicize the model. That's the important thing. Antoine Harrison, the offensive tackle for Oklahoma, goes to the Eagles at number 30. So um, this is just the pattern, right? Draft defensive linemen, draft offensive linemen, draft them a year in advance before Mylotta. I mean, before really Lane Johnson as he gets older. Yeah. And just, you know, add security there. Don't love this one. I understand contingency and drafting for the future, et cetera, et cetera. But they're like, they've, future proof most of that offensive line already you know remember like a year ago they drafted jason kelsey's eventual successor um i there i don't really see them going offensive tackle i would definitely prefer them to try and find some defensive back cover before there's, this there's other um there's other cornerback depth here we have a bunch of guys in the top 60 who um really in the top 50 who all could fit in here mm-hmm the, the, now, here's the, here's the guy that I'm not going to love. 
the number 31 overall pick, going to the Kansas City Chiefs. There's only 31 first-rounders this year. Yep. But Jalen Duncan, the tackle from Maryland, none of the data points like Duncan. Model, which is production-based, any of our production got um, absolutely whooped against Penn State last year. He is one of those guys who's you know looks the part at left tackle but has never played the part, and him going in the first round feels like a risky proposition which is kind of how Renner has described him as well as you know looks like the other offensive tackles hasn't necessarily played that way yet which is certainly problematic um I agree that this is an area the Chiefs should definitely look to um whether or not they bring back Orlando Brown Andrew Wiley at right tackle is generally an issue although he had a good Super Bowl so you know kudos to him but yeah you presumably want the giant mammoth mountain man to one jones yeah just because that you can relate as a wingspan man you yeah presumably have some sort of nine foot That's wingspan. What, let's get him at the combine and try to have a little wingspan contest a or wingspan something. off yeah and then the hands as well you got to do just because anytime so you're like there. wingspan though right you're, you're going length to length so like your body's a part of it yeah i'm gonna lose that part don't you think <laughs> presumably against him yes against, against him. most people know um, there are some rumors that the Rams are going to move on from Jalen Ramsey or try to trade Jalen Ramsey, hmm. right? Maybe reset the strategy, add more depth, get some draft picks back and all that. Are the Chiefs – the Chiefs feel like this prime candidate to – I mean, they have the worst first-round pick at 31. Uh-huh. But don't they feel like this team where it's like, let's really lean into it, make this into the, the full dynasty, make an aggressive move here at corner – Go get Jalen. Like Ramsey. their entire secondary is kind of on peanuts at the moment. Like that's actually one of the strengths of the team is that they're not investing anything in that group. No, I know. Stand and by they the way, did a they're great playing job pretty that. well. They did like, a great job with that. They relied heavily on rookies and you know first contract guys, and they're all doing a good job. It they're they're in a, such a position of strength. They have twelve draft picks in Kansas City. Yeah, so they could throw a ton of draft picks though at one player, and it's as much as it's like. Hey, we had uh, Jalen Watson, seventh rounder, and we had Joshua Williams, undrafted free agent. Really good stories and all that stuff. But we could have Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, like to me, though, their entire strategy when it comes to investing money elsewhere beyond the Patrick Mahomes deal is simply don't screw anything up. You don't even need to invest the money tremendously wisely. Just don't have... Don't swing and a miss in a huge way because that kills everything. And that, I mean, I'm not saying Jalen Ramsey would be a swing and a miss because obviously he's been a very good player in multiple different roles in multiple different teams now. But it just feels like there's a team out there that doesn't want to go and invest in a big spot in one, one position and then have that become a problem. I don't really see them being interested in that. Yeah. Well, I'll push that narrative as well. Come here, I've got a quote for you. Yeah. Um, I've been trying to find this for ages since back when we were talking quarterbacks and you being Mr. Touchy-Feely and, oh, what's the problem with just adding two competing quarterbacks to the same room? If they can't deal with that, they're not the guy anyway, right? There was an amazing article by Wright Thompson in ESP, on ESPN uh, about Joe Montana where he goes and visits him, spends plenty of time. It's a monster. It's like a book. Uh, but the, the funny thing is, was a lot in about like the mentality of these guys who were all crazy. Right. And Steve Young had a bit in it saying you get like 10 Hall of Fame quarterbacks in a room. It's it's insane. They all sort of look around being like, 
I mean, are we supposed to just race now? Like, what, what do we do? Like, all of them think they're the alpha, right? But they're, they're obviously they're not. One of them, maybe. Um, and there was a big thing about how it kind of eats away at Montana that Brady has seven Super Bowls because Brady got to play in this era where you're not allowed to touch the quarterback and Joe Montana was pummeled face first into the turf every time he faced the Giants or whatever, right? So there's you this. You hear that in Montana's interviews a little bit. Yeah. And, and there was a bit, they were sort of like, you know, everyone wants to write more in the book, like the book of their greatness and the records and all this kind of stuff. But you don't get to. At some point, the, the thing Book's closes closed. for you. Right. Yeah. And, he, and they were sort of saying, well, Montana must have felt that four Super Bowls in and the legacy he had that, like, he'd written enough. And then along comes Brady a few years later. And it's like, God damn it. It wasn't even close. Three more. Anyway, so there was this whole thing about how, the, the Joe Montana, Steve Young dynamic worked. And there was this quote about how it's more than just a dude trying to take your job. And so, quote, uh, now he understands. He wasn't trying to take Joe Montana's job. He was trying to kill him, to take away the air in his lungs and the ground beneath his feet, to burn down his home and bury the ashes. He took years away and left blank pages where more Montana legend might have been inscribed. That... That's what it is inside these guys' heads. So when you just go, oh, just, just draft another quarterback, just add another guy to the room. In their mind, this is what's happening. Like you're bringing in a guy to mount a very assault on that dude's soul during that year. That's going to screw him up. Like there's no two ways about it. That's not a good thing. So when the Eagles draft Jalen Hurts in the second round. Yeah, in Carson Wentz's brain, like they've just torched his compound with all his, you know, Carson Wentz whatever, hanging on the wall. Carson's, Carson Wentz is saying, you just ripped a couple chapters of my legend out of my career. You have just laid siege to my hunting compound with my, you know, moose on the wall and the ducks hanging to be dried. That's what you've done. You've just set a, a picket around this thing and laid siege to the building. Now, if the goal is to win championships uh -huh. and maximize performance doesn't matter yes because your quarterback feeling like that is not good they literally won two championships while steve young was the backup yes I'm did they go, leave some on the table because steve young was on the backup i'm gonna was go the backup i'm gonna go ahead and suggest that joe montana's ability to channel that into you know productive rage is probably not normal right which is why you can make that move and it's okay. And if they can't turn it into productive rage, you trade Carson Wentz and you have a better option. That's the whole point. You made my point. No. You absolutely made my point. No, your point is simply if you have Joe Montana, it's cool. If you don't, forget it. I mean, Aaron Rodgers too. He channeled darkness into two MVPs. He channeled Jordan Love into two MVPs. It didn't work for the championship. Yeah. But you're making my point here, Sam. No. Either you're able to do better. The The Patriots drafted Jimmy Garoppolo. They win three more championships. Three more championships after Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy G is a two-time Super Bowl champion because Bill Belichick drafted him as Brady's replacement, which pushed Brady over the edge of like, nope, that's it. I don't Never. think your line can be, if we have one of the five greatest and most demented quarterbacks of all time, it's okay. Anything else, it's a disaster. Where's it a disaster? Where's the Eagles did it, and they ended up with a better quarterback. It, it answered the problem for them. Who's our quarterback? Well, it's not Carson Wentz. He can't handle having Jalen Hurts sitting next to him in the QB room. 
Guess what? Now we have Jalen Hurts, who's better and cheaper, and we almost won a Super Bowl because of it. It absolutely worked. The problem is turning any quarterback who isn't one of the five greatest quarterbacks of all time into a gibbering mental case, feeling like the world is against them. You're also project. You're you can't you can't play both sides here. You can't say Joe Montana is an outlier. He's crazy, and then project his mentality on everyone else. Yeah, I think you can. You can't. This is that this is? I mean, it's this, his mentality. No, no, no. Because this article also talks about how like all of these quarterbacks feel like this. All the great ones. You said you can't just focus on the great ones. Oh, so said, let's not focus on the great well, ones. You've also got Carson Wentz. Like this has happened to many, many other Carson quarterbacks. Carson Wentz is well. not a great one. That's what I'm saying. He was probably just offended and he played worse. I so think good, all of these out. guys feel the same way when a new quarterback is brought in to take their job. And only one or two of them does that channel its way into positive production. I'm not saying I would not care for the person as a general manager, that I would not care for their family and their livelihood and, and all that stuff. Uh -huh. What I'm saying is if you are judging purely by outcomes, you have proven my point. I don't know that that's true. Yeah, because if you have a great quarterback and you piss them off with an understudy, you get better results out of the great ones. If you bring competition in for a less than great one, you start to sift through things and you probably move on quicker than you would have. The Eagles aren't stra uh, you know, attached to Carson. If they were attached to Carson Wentz for the last two years, they're not back in the Super Bowl. Well, no, because Carson Wentz isn't good. Right. And they got to go to the Super Bowl because they didn't care about his feelings. They drafted a guy in the second round. They didn't say, oh, no, we can't draft a quarterback and offend him. They drafted a guy in the second round who proved to be better cheaper and did bring them three points away from a championship yeah they also... that's a win for the eagles that's a good move for the eagles that they brought in competition for the guy who couldn't handle the competition also... that was good for the eagles organization they also assembled the best roster in the nfl which is in part helpful. because they had jalen hurts on a rookie contract and could make those moves yeah i'm not sure your honor <laughs> I'm not sure the solution. We have a three-minute. We yeah. have a meeting in three minutes. I rest my case. I'm not sure the solution to every NFL team is simply blow up your quarterback position, find a good starter on no money, and then assemble the best roster in the NFL. That's how we're going to do this. I rest my case. The GM comes in and says, "All right, Mr. Owner, how I'm going to build this team is I'm going to get rid of your quarterback. I'm going to find a good young quarterback on a rookie deal." And a cheap rookie deal because he was not a first-round pick. Chiefs drafted then, Patrick Mahomes when they had Alex then Smith. Then I'm going to build the best roster in the NFL, and that's how we're going to win. All right, on you go. Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes when they already like, had Alex Smith. That's back to your thing of that's not a strategy. That's just luck. That's how it worked. It's literally part of NFL strategy when you have a first contract quarterback that you could build around them better. Right, but it's not like assembling the best roster in the NFL is not – a game plan that's not a blueprint yeah i get it i'm saying jalen hurts has proven to be better than carson wentz in addition to the flexibility that he's given you to build the rest of your team yeah but even need even with that you needed to assemble the best roster in the nfl to get there and you still was jalen hurts a good draft pick at, in the second round or was he a bad draft pick because maybe he offended your starting quarterback at the time i mean he's a good draft pick because he worked out from right. a process standpoint, I think that was less amazing than a lot of other people think it was. Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes when they didn't need him, when they had Alex Smith. He's a good they, solid they starter. Him. Anyway, um, go check out the PFF app. Everything you need here during draft season. Writing, of course, betting and fantasy when you get to it. But draft guides out as well.
all part of PFF Plus. First, first run of the draft guide, we'll throw a couple of those out there. So go check out all that stuff right now. We're back again tomorrow. You're here tomorrow? Yeah. With Renner? Sure. You guys talk about it yet? No. Renner might be here tomorrow. PFF NFL podcast show. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow. You proved my point. Thank you, Sam. I win.